Friday and welcome to Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. And today um, I have a really special guest in the studio, and that's one of his songs. This is Paradise. And uh, I have Steve Adabo, um, who's a Grammy winning producer, musician, writer, recorder, engineer. I mean, it's great. He's worked with some of the most amazing um, artists producing and engineering, as well as uh, his own music. So I'm going to bring him into the studio, and we are going to uh, be talking a little bit about his projects and some things that he's been doing and uh, his time working with all the iconic musicians that he's worked with um, and is probably currently working with. So we're going to find out what he's working on right now. Again, if you want to tune into the show, you can – I'm sorry, my voice is going a little bit there. Um, you can listen to it in the chat room. Uh, all you have to do is create an account. And also, you could call in at 347-677-1036. With that, let me bring Steve into the studio. Steve, are you there? I am here. Hi, Holly. There you are. Welcome. Friday, Friday. I know. <laughs> it's like, Friday. And it's, and it's the Friday, I believe, when this airs right before... Um, uh, Father's Day. So for a lot of fathers and mothers that are act- taking a father's position, um, happy Father's Day to you. So there you go. I am. Yes. Um, well, I yeah, am absolutely. Twice a father. Yeah. Hmm. Managed to squeeze that in with everything else. So. No, All I hear you. <laughs> you. Well, listen, you know, Steve, I was reading 
a lot of the stuff that you have worked on and that you're currently working on in Shelter Island Sound Recording Studio in New York City. And, um, you know, uh, that you own that studio. And uh, you worked with Suzanne Vega, Bob Dylan, um, you know, Sean Colvin, so many different people. I'd love to hear a little bit. Um, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm just. Oh, I'm hearing. I'm hearing some weird noises. Yeah. No. 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 That's okay. Let's talk about this is paradise. The song that we opened up with. You want to talk a little ah, okay. bit about that? That's your own music. Yeah. That's my own music. Well, you know, I figured after 35 or 40 years of making everyone else's records and critiquing mm-hmm. their songs and their lyrics and and helping that I would. Uh, you know, step up to the plate and do it myself. I've always been writing since I've been in high school, writing songs. Oh, really? And, co- and co-writing. And, but mm-hmm. that, that took a backseat. My own personal music took a backseat when, you know, the production thing kicked in. And I was really intrigued with making records and the whole technology behind it and the emotion behind it and how you get an artist from A to B. And Yeah. Was, yeah, was very lucky in the uh, early 80s to... Uh, you know, leave my leave my steady job. I was a an engineer in studios at the time. I'd worked at the Hit Factory and Storing oh, wow. Sound, Storing Sound in New York. Really? City. it's really where mm-hmm. I learned everything pretty much, and from making records to mastering records and watching managers and A and R people interact with artists and how people got you know fig, trying to starting to figure out how people got signed and how it all happened because. You know, when I was much younger, I had, in just coming out of college, I'd had my own band, and we had managed to get a record deal, and, you know, one of our big gigs was opening up for Bruce Springsteen. So this is oh, after, how funny! Yeah, well, this is after his I first record. I just did a show. Yeah, I just did a <laughs> show with um, Frank Stefanko last uh, Wednesday with his 40th anniversary for um, Darkness on the Edge of Town. How interesting. 40th anniversary. So anyway, this goes back even further. So, you know, Bruce had wow. just put out the first album, and um, so we were playing in Philly at that point. This is seven, 1973, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, we got a we got the gig opening up for him, and he drew maybe maybe 300 people to the Roxy Theater oh, wow. in Philadelphia. You know, wow. Yeah, he, he was like, yeah, my record company's not too happy. We didn't sell many records on the first one, but but he was very very nice, and I got to jam mm-hmm. with him in the, the the dressing room when we were warming up. And oh, how he, cool! He sat and watched our whole show and gave me some nice mm-hmm. compliments on my guitar playing. And then I sat down and watched his show, and it was like it was like a different world opened up, you know, to see him perform with that band that was the original East Street. Oh band. yeah. And, and just, you know, I mean, my band was kindergarten and he was like, you know, so far above us. It was ridiculous, you know, but, but anyway, mm. it was a good learning. This thing. And so I went on, you know, the band, that band broke up and I went on to just play gigs and stuff and mm-hmm. uh, driving a taxi in my odd moments to help pay the rent. And, uh, so I'm driving my taxi cab, and then Bruce Springsteen next year is on the cover of Time magazine. So it's like, oh, oh wow, wow, ah. you know. <laughs> so it's like, okay, oh, I wow. guess I got some more, you know, we got some traveling to do what here. So anyway, that was what um, a humbling moment, right? <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, it was very sobering, you know. But but still, it was very wow. exciting to like 
to, to yeah. been in, been inside it and see that it was it was struggling in the beginning, and then you know they mm-hmm. just kept at it, and then uh, you know things happened. So the fast forward many years later, getting off the road, stopping playing in bars, and I uh, started working at the Hit Factory. You know, I have a technical mm-hmm. background, so I can fix electronics, and I love doing that too. So oh, I nice. There. Yeah, I worked there, and that was a that was that was where I was supposed to be a recording studio. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I. I I would work 16-hour shifts sometimes. It just was endless. In those oh, days yeah. Because the heyday of recording studios, three studios going 24 hours a day and all kinds of craziness. And so many great sessions came through there. You know, we, Tim Curry and Hall and & Oates. And, I mean, just all top. Oh, really? And, yeah, and the equipment had wow. to be good. You know, you had, the place had to work. And it was still way before the digital world. So we were all analog tape mm-hmm. and tape machines flying and, smoke going up in smoke and making the you know uh. walking in being very calm. <laughs> of course of course we can fix this you know have a cigarette we'll be done in five minutes. <laughs> so so anyway but oh, then yeah. uh, later on but i still you know my whole i always wanted to just make records you know i wanted to help arrange yeah. them help write the music help produce it or engineer mm-hmm. it mix it just learn all that but that's a lot of stuff to learn you know so it takes a while to oh yeah get, comp- get confident at it and so mm-hmm. In the 80s, you know, getting a little tired of just being a tech. And, of course, I'd been learning and watching and taking notes on all the engineers. I was watching how they mic their kick drums and how to get a drum sound. So you absorb all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in the early 80s, I was uh, able to uh, kind of break away and take some chances with this unknown singer who I'd come across with my buddy. We formed a little company. Mm-hmm. He would be the manager, uh, business person, lawyer, and I'd be the musician, producer, and, and this girl was mm-hmm. Suzanne Vega, you know, 1983. Oh, wow. Yeah, 1983, she was playing folk mm-hmm. city, you know, to, no, to nobody, and I, offered, I had some access to studio time, and I saw her perform, and offered her to come up to the studio for no, you know, no strings attached, and just lay down her songs, and I think she liked me, and we got, we hit it off, and I started playing live with her. And um, one thing led to another. We got a beautiful uh, review in the New York Times one one day, and um, then all hell broke loose. And we got her a record deal. And wow! Was, all of a sudden, I was in the producer's seat. You know, first time ever. Mhm. Mhm. And that worked. It worked out pretty well. <laughs> How exciting! Yeah. So it was. It and, was. It was a and- good one back then. You need to tell, and also I forgot to say, you have also um, had you have gone gotten a Grammy on this, haven't you? Well, not on Suzanne. So you, but on finally, after all these years, you know, I've been uh, luckily uh, the past four years or so, I've I was called in to mix these uh, Bob Dylan bootleg series box sets, mm-hmm. and uh, that's been quite an adventure. You know, we've done. Um, bringing it all the, the the cutting edge was bringing it all back home. Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde. Mm-hmm. So I got to got to hear all all the takes. I mean, wow, soup to nuts, amazing mistakes. And you know, the Dylan fans just can't get enough of him. So uh, you know, this this was an 18th city set. You know, so that was like mm-hmm. over 400 mixes for that record. And uh, wow. You know, if I didn't, 
if I didn't get a Grammy for it, I was going to go to the uh, Guinness World Book of Records for the most cool <laughs> mixes. <laughs> how many but, hours? Uh, I want to know how many hours oh, did that take? I, it, countless. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it would be different if we just did one mix of song, but you know, we it's Bob Dylan. We got to get it right. And, you know, the voice has to be right and uh, dealing with the Holy Grail. So uh, yeah, it was. It took it took a most part of one summer, I believe, you know, to do it all. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. And you know, you also co-produced Sean Colvin's Grammy award-winning debut album, yeah. Study On. So yeah. I wanted to bring that up too, because here, I mean, you went from playing music to working in the, to, to, to working in the studios, and now you're just like mixing it up a little bit. That is just amazing. Just like all the different things that you've done. You know, I want to know, um, let's start I know you kind of started a little bit at the beginning. I wanted to know, you mentioned when you were younger, you loved writing music and, uh, um, you know, doing stuff like that. Let's talk a little bit about that. Is that how you got into, how you were introduced to music or what really made you know that that was what you wanted to do? Yeah, it it was, it was something that I just always gravitated towards. It wasn't a a Mm -hmm. conscious decision. It was just, oh, yeah, I like this. I listen to this and I can imitate that. And, you know, I, I was, you know, doing air guitar and air singing, you know, in front of the mirror to Del Shannon records, mm-hmm. how old I am, but, you know, run away, you know, in the 1960s. Uh, but the, the little seven inch single was just magic. You know, you put, you put it off at three minutes, mm-hmm. you just transported somewhere else. And somehow that always was, Got, that was always in my blood, how, how magical that was. Mm-hmm. And as we went from 45s to, excuse me, stereo LPs, um, you know, listening to Sgt. Pepper's, with, I had a stereo that had the speakers came off, and so you could lie on the floor and put one on each side, you know. <laughs> Best set of headphones ever. And, uh, and you know, listening to Sgt. Pepper's, and, and it just, it was, it was just it enveloped me, you know. It was just kind of my thing. And then I started mm-hmm. playing guitar in high, early on in high school, maybe about ninth grade, and seemed to pick it up pretty quickly and uh, formed a high school band. And we started writing our songs then and uh, played throughout college. Went to college as an engineering major, and then I also wound up being a music major. So um, I just always seemed to do it. You know, I, the engineering was always well, you know music thing doesn't work out you're gonna go, sure you can always go work for a defense contractor and design you know some something but uh luckily i never had to do that so so i, I use both no i my whole life I've, I've been involved in a little bit you know i still i still take apart stuff in my studio and fix it because i have tons of beautiful vintage equipment and plus i have all the new stuff so oh i love that um you know it's uh it's I, I could do it 24-7. I really could, you know, but um, sometimes... See, it's, it's in your blood. Fun. It's in it your is. blood. I, mean, so I can't you know. imagine... Yeah. You know, I always thought, you know, some people, you know, they have different chapters in their lives. And now, of course, things change mm-hmm. as you go along, but somehow, you know, I've always waited for that. Oh, I wonder what I'm going to do next, and I realized, well, I guess this is it. <laughs> hmm You know, I had a very close friend of mine that worked at Criteria in Miami, oh. Sure. Um, and uh, he worked with Stephen Stills and, uh, you know, a bunch of other different people that came through there. And he was telling me, he was an engineer too, and uh, he said, you know, I, that's like life for me. So I remember 
being, you know, like a really young adult, you know, or young, you know, teenager and, and being in the studio and falling asleep on the sofa and watching them all do this yeah. stuff, it's like just so amazing. It's like all hours. You know, you hear oh, yeah. about people working in the studio and it's like what goes on behind the album or, or you know, the music being made is, is really a story in itself. It's kind of like... Um, I, I'm sure you have some stories. Maybe you want to share a couple <laughs> with us about some people that you worked with. Uh, maybe it we is. love those. Let me think. Yeah. Let me think. Uh, well, um, I mean, the most memorable, I mean, there's so many memorable ones, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. <clears throat> like working on Suzanne's first record. Um, mm-hmm. She... Yeah, she wasn't a studio geek like me, and we—I was really not that I was going for perfection, but I—I wanted—I wanted something. I just wanted her to push on her vocals a little more, and not just be like, oh, "I sang it three times; it's good enough." And I said, "Suzanne, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we quite have the best take on you yet." And then she got—not no, that she ever got mad at me; she never did. But she got a little huffy about, "I don't want to do it anymore." She got, you know. And so she goes out of the studio, but she forgot her shoes. So eventually she has to come back. <laughs> and, um, uh, and you know, we, had, we, didn't get, we didn't get to take that night, but the next day she came back in. And I said, Suzanne, we got to try these songs one more time. She, ah, she, you know, she looks at me like that. She didn't really want to do it. And, you know, I realized that, maybe I should just let her wear her guitar while she's singing. Cause we'd done the tracks and everything was down. It just needed her to sing the vocal and, uh, mm-hmm. I put the acoustic guitar on her. I taped the strings. so It didn't make any noise. And she just held the guitar. And within an hour I had the three takes I needed. She just relaxed. Oh, wow. And it was just like a, you know, one of those Eureka moments. It was like, Oh mm-hmm. yeah, of course this makes sense. Cause that's what she's comfortable doing is singing and playing, not singing with a mm-hmm. pair of headphones on and you don't know where to put your arms and your body's tense and you're getting pissed at your producer. And so, um, so yeah, that was, that was one of the good things. You know, had a really good result because it was just, I just knew she could do those vocals a little bit better and she did, you know, and I was thrilled with that and she was thrilled with it. And to this day, she, she, uh, is very thankful. I pushed her in that way. You know, she was, uh, she's always been very thankful and appreciative and we're remain good friends till this day. So that's, uh, you know, almost 50 years later. Is it more? That's, that's amazing. No, 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 30, 35 years later. Sorry, 50, oh, my God. Wow, so you pro- know, it's so funny. I produced so funny. when I was 12. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you were 12 years old, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that's was me cool. in the studio no, you're, you were a child prodigy. <laughs> you were a child prodigy, okay? Um, what about working with Tracy Chapman? Um, what was that oh, like? Oh, well, this was, no, this is one of those moves in your career. You go, oops, because I didn't work with Tracy Chapman. I did get her okay. demo. And oh, this was okay. Right around the time, yeah, this was right around the time, um, you know, after Suzanne had been successful. So, mm-hmm. you know, like had the record company work. Oh, this guy knows how to do female singer-songwriters, you know. He just had to hit with Lucas. So you'd get, a, you know, you'd get calls and stuff. And so they sent yeah. me her demo. You know, they sent me her demo and... It didn't have fast. Did you cars. know she when had, you heard it? No, I Did mean you know? I, I didn't. I, I turned it down. Oh wow! I turned it down. See that? I, I I didn't hear it. You know, I mean, she had the song Revolution, mm-hmm. and I don't mm-hmm. know. I didn't buy. Somehow it just didn't. 
you know, maybe I was just too caught up and I didn't just sit back and, you know, realize where this could go or whatever. But I just, it didn't grab mm-hmm. me, you know. And, it, and at the time, it didn't seem crucial that I do another project right away, you know. And, and you know, looking back, mm-hmm. it was probably, it was definitely a mistake. Because I had lunch many years later with famous uh, producer Richard Goddard, a songwriter who now heads up the orchard. And he's, he, uh, mm-hmm. he just said, Says, you know what? You just say you can work with it. Don't you know? Don't turn it down because you never know when your next gig's gonna come up. And he was right, you know. But I mean, I don't. I mean, I regret it maybe from a financial standpoint because I sure would have loved to have produced Fast Car. But um, that that was a breakthrough. But yeah, you know, along the way, sometimes you don't see. No, so I totally it's, get it's that. It to be. It's, it's fine, like, you know. It's like whatever. No, it's everybody has their forte. It's like they they listen to what they that jives with them, and then they they just don't hear it. I totally get that. Um, but some of the other people that you've worked with, like uh, when you did this Bob Dylan and Jeff Buckley <laughs> stuff. I mean, and, and Richard Barone. We want and to Richard mention Barone. Richard Barone. Yeah, buddy, Richard. we just did a gig list this past weekend. Here in the oh city wow! Together. Okay. Yeah, I we have a Richard. big show coming up. Um, anyone in the city in August, August twelfth, we're doing mm-hmm. Summer Stage, which is the big oh, free nice. concert in the park where we're bringing in a lot of great guests too. Because we have this uh, Sars and Promises um, music of the '60s, music of Greenwich Village in the '60s. That's been oh nice, very, very, okay, very successful. We we did a lot of songs from a lot of different songwriters and had some people co- collaborate like David Amram and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Allison Mora and um, Jenny Moldauer and Dion even sang on the record. Oh, nice. Bastion. Yeah. So we had a lot of people on there. So, but Rick, Richard's fantastic in terms of putting these things together. He's, he's relentless. Love him. He yeah. Done. He gets it done. And uh, so we, we got, in New York City to, to let us do a summer stage show, and it's August 12th, mm-hmm. which is a Sunday, okay. and we're going to have John Sebastian's going to show up, Jesse Colin Young's going to show up, Melanie's going to oh, show wow. up, Jose Feliciano, uh, both Moldauers, Maria and Jenny, David and nice. you know, my buddies, the Kennedys, and, you know, we're going to be the kind of the backup band, and... Um, it's going to be fun. So really, I think Richard was just talking to the New York Times today about it. So we're trying to plug in and get lots of people to show up. It should be beautiful. Oh, no. That's cool. So it's in August? August what again? August 12th. It's a Sunday. August 12th. Okay. Okay. 7 Sunday, August 12th at 7 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like Central Park. We're you know, summer stage. Central Park summer stage. Okay, do you have anything else coming up? Because that was, that was I was going to ask you. What are you currently that's, working that's on besides this yeah. in August? Well, mm-hmm. um, you know, right now, uh, gig-wise, we're doing a couple of things. We're doing this uh, 8th Street show coming up in July, which is more of a street street fair. Um, mm-hmm. And we're working on some other shows for the fall, but I don't have a lot of gigs to push right now. We just we just did this one at the uh, Washington Square Hotel called Village Nights. He, he, one Sunday night every month, Richard hosts a bunch of people. And we just did our show this past Sunday. And I think he's got Terry Roach coming the next month. And, and so it's kind of a fun thing. It's kind of, once again, like the old village where there's actually live music. Yeah. Original music. And it's, uh, you know, it's not just catering to the the bridge and tunnel crowd who come in on Saturday night and get drunk and, you know, just want to hear cover songs. So it's nice that there's a, a bastion for original music still, you know. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I want to I want to ask you about some of the um, boards that you are on for the music, like NARIS and uh, ASCAP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so the, um, that's interesting. Well, the, I mean, over the years, I mean, NARIS has always been um, a real uh, advocate for musicians and and. Um, so I was active with them a, a, a while ago. I'm not really doing it now anymore. But you know, I, I, I did about three years of being a governor and and help and helping. And there was some cool things going on there. They had Grammy in the schools, which was always a lot of fun, where they'd get a whole bunch of pretty high high profile people and they'd they'd hold these classes at the school and get kids to perform. And, mm-hmm. and so you know, Naris is always good. You know, they're a little befuddled right now because of. I, don't know. I think they've turned into an entertainment show. They worry more about the Grammy show than the actual sometimes mm-hmm. musicians. Although, although Music Care is a fabulous part of that offshoot where they really help musicians who have come upon hard times, whether it's health-wise or financial. And uh, I can't say enough oh, nice. about about Music Care. Yeah, and that's good. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm involved, you know, peripherally with the. Nerfa and Folk Alliance. I like to go do panels there, and it's always fun because there's so many young singer-songwriters there, and you know, having kind of been there in the '80s and sure you know, been, been influenced by the '60s, even though I wasn't really going to a village yet in the '60s. Um, but just that whole music scene made it, um, you know, made, made my whole career seem like it came from you know, an, an organic place that I really, cause I really did love, you know, singer songwriters, you know, growing up and, and whether even they were rock and roll more pop, whether it was Del Shannon or Dion or, or, but you know, these people are writing their own songs. I mean, not that, that I even knew, had a, had a concept of who wrote the songs or, or what they even meant back then. So, um, mm-hmm. so it's fun to be involved with, uh, you know, the newer community of, of songwriters. And that's where, it's really fun where to work with people like uh, Anna Aggie and Caitlin Canty because they are of a, a younger generation. And um, you have the song "Get Up There." Did I give that to you? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let me play that because that's a song I I I, I um, and this is the way it happens. I went to see somebody perform. You know, I was curious, and then someone was opening up, and uh, the person opening up turned out to be Caitlin Canty, and I'd never heard of her, and I was really impressed. I said, beautiful voice. The songs are really cool. Um, she plays good, great guitar. And um, mm-hmm. and so I went up to her after you know after her set and said, well, I enjoyed that, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't know who I was. But I mentioned that I had worked with Anna Eggie, and she was a fan of Anna Eggie. And so all of a sudden, you know, I was like, okay, you're, you're, you're okay now. And uh, she had been working on an album and wasn't totally happy with how her vocals were coming out. So I just said, listen, you know, I've got a great studio. If you're in town, come by and we'll just, you know, we'll see what we can come up with. And um, we did. And, you know, so on that album, I forget the name of that album. That was before Reckless Skyline. It was one before it. And uh, so I wound up recording some of her vocals. And then, you know, we became friendly and, and we started doing some songwriting together. And uh, she had this one song in particular she was ready to throw out. And when I heard her, I said, wait a minute. You know, don't that that that. There's a lot of really good parts in this, and um, so I rearranged it for her a bit. I gave her a better rhythm to play on the guitar, 
we kind of made her do her whole mm-hmm. part and then rewrote the chorus lines and, and gave her some different lyrics of the chorus. And just to see the smile on her face when she started singing the chorus and all of a sudden the song just fell together, that's become a very popular song for her. We have like, I don't know, we got at least a million spins on Spotify. It's been, it's gotten into a couple of oh, really? movies oh, nice. and credits. And uh, so it's a song called Get Up. So why don't you play that and I'll get a glass of water. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so this, the Get Up, because I have, I'm looking at my studio here, it's the song Get Up, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, let me play that one real quick, and then uh, we'll be right back. And, uh, again, we have, um, we'll be right back, and I'm going to play the song real quick, and we'll be back with Steve. Hold on one second. Here you guys go.
Are you there, Steve? I am here. That's a great song. You know, I remember hearing that when you sent it to me um, when we were going to do our last show. Uh And uh, it has a very, her voice is very, uh, she's a very Celtic sound to her in a way. Yeah. Her voice does. Doesn't she? I know. She's, yeah, she's, um, I mean, I I fell in love with her voice immediately, you know, and I heard her. Yeah, me too. Her writing sensibility and. Um, yeah, to think the song was almost in the trash bin, you know, it's like, no, wait, wait. Oh, wait. wow. You know, so, yeah. you know, it's just, she got frustrated with it because she couldn't quite, she couldn't quite find the, the groove to it. And, uh, it's just funny, but, you know, I heard her, you know, I heard one of that, when she did that, get up, that, ooh, and that get up was like, wow, yeah. you know, that's two big hooks. So I, I made her do it twice in a row right in the beginning, so. Anyway, but uh, Jeffrey Folkholt uh, produced that track, and it was uh, it was fun to have someone else produce a song you help write. So it was like enough to do all the work. And oh, obviously, no. it came, it came, out, came out great. Good. That's fine. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's whatever. However, however it happens. A, so. She has a really pretty voice. Very pretty yeah. voice. Yeah, and she's got a new record um, out now. I think Motel Bouquet also. That was that album was Reckless Skyline. That's her two albums ago. I know she has a new one out now. And she's she moved to Nashville. She's playing all the time. She's out there. She's really doing it and becoming more and more successful. So, um, but this song did really well. Oh, really? It broke down, it broke down a lot of barriers at radio and stuff for her. So I think um, you know I'm really happy that it it exists and. Uh, it's coming out. What's the name of the? I don't remember the name of the movie. It's coming out, but it's actually, you know, it was funny because uh, this music supervisor who I had worked on with some other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I get a I get a uh, email. She goes, Oh, I didn't know you wrote the song. We're going to use it in one of our movies. And it's like, Oh, great. So that that that's coming out. I don't know the name of the movie. I don't know if I could find it in time here, but. Um, but that should be coming out soon. And it's like a, a major, wow. indie, major indie film. So, yeah, and she was like, oh, I didn't know you wrote that song. You know, it was a nice coincidence. I just liked it, you know. So that was, that was, that's a good well, thing. Over the years, I'm sure you've. You, it's really cool to hear some of the music that you've written or produced um, being in a music, um, either in a video or in a film. Film is really important yeah. now. I know there's a lot of really great artists that are out there that are just now getting their music into film. You know what I wanted to ask you while you were talking about, you know, working with young, new, emerging artists, um, if there are any young artists or parents of young artists listening, what would you, what would you tell them if they're children or young adults or really showing some interest in it? What's the best mm-hmm. way to get out there? Well, you know, what's the saying? You can't do it till you've done it, so you might as well start doing it. Um, you know, I really can't emphasize the the art of songwriting and being original. I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of young kids were so are so barraged with YouTube and uh, Instagram, social and, media, you know, just, social media, and seeing all the well, you can't avoid it now. We can't avoid it, but. But, I know. but all the over-the-top production, I mean, more, you know, even, even if it's, uh, you know, those, whatever those shows are, uh, America's Got Talent and all those things where mm-hmm. it's so much more, it's like they push these kids into these huge productions and they're not, they're not ready to do that. You know, it's like, um, you know, the basis, the basis of this whole industry starts with the song and I'm just, I'm just finishing, uh, 
reading Clive Davis's book, uh, his biography he wrote with Anthony DeCurtis, and it's oh, just nice. unbelievable. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. I'd, you know, like I just have <laughs> Anthony DeCurtis on. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, and Anthony's is it a good the Lou Reed? Is it the Lou Reed book? Well, it's funny because I'm actually reading two Anthony DeCurtis books at the same time because I started reading the Lou Reed book, and then uh-huh. somehow I came across this uh, this. Uh, Clive Davis book. It's, it's not that yeah. old, maybe a couple of years old. And no, no, no. Yeah. So I I'm, actually, I'm actually in the middle of both of them. And then at one point, you know, he's Clive Davis is talking about Lou Reed, and I've got the Lou Reed book open too. So it's it's kind of funny, but but always, you know, hunting for that special song and having fights with artists, you know, who mm-hmm. want to be their own songwriters, but you know, they're trying to find the right song and and and. Just you can't you can't get away from that. So you know anyone anyone young starting to try out because listen, there's a million kids with great voices these days, girls, you know, guys, um, and uh, the competition is just you know more ridiculous now than ever probably. And I'm not even sure what the prize is anymore. At least in the old days, we would strive for a rep deal and. And that now it's like they don't, they don't even sell records, so you gotta, you know, it, it's, they just want a, a hit single. They're not interested in albums anymore. So everyone's chasing his hit mm-hmm. single, which is, um, you know, maybe it's good for business in the short run, but in terms of music in the long run, developing new writers, like you know, the whole the whole thing of the '60s where we came out, all those singer songwriters were playing songs for each other, mm-hmm. they were hanging out with each other. Where, where, where can that happen these days? You know, no one can afford to live in the village anymore. No one can afford to mm-hmm. be anywhere. Where are the artistic communities um, coming together where people are supportive and, and helping each other? You know, so it, it's 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 all moved kind of to social media where everyone's, you know, you put a song up on YouTube and you know you get 300 hits and you're like woohoo, you know, but that's not that's not that's mm-hmm. not really getting mm-hmm. getting to it. So it's it's. Listen, I'm not saying it's not bewildering out there right now, you know, but uh, the only thing you can do is be yourself and write your own songs and get out in front of people, whether it's an open mic in your hometown or uh, mm-hmm. you know, playing in high school and playing at a dance like I started out. I mean, I think those things are, are basically um, the same. Um, actually, I, I, I live in Westchester, a smaller town of Westchester, and Every year, I'm one of the I'm a judge at the local Battle of the Bands that this um, oh, wow. venue called yeah this venue called Purple puts on every year, and mm-hmm. um, you know over the years there's been one or two standouts to me that that mm-hmm. I actually went so far as to invite them to the studio and and record them because uh, oh wow yeah and, and this one band actually from four or five years ago called Active Bird Community. They're still out there mm-hmm. doing it, you know, and they they were still uh, seniors in high school when I met them, and we did one or two tracks in my studio, and I helped them master some stuff, and I just saw they played this huge festival in Brooklyn where there was like 400 bands, and I saw their names, so I mean, they're still doing it, and and recently, the last one, I just, uh, there was this high school junior, and it, the way he wrote his songs, I was really impressed with, so actually, just yesterday, I had him in the studio just to listen a little more closely and to inspire oh, really? a little bit to go, you know, go mm-hmm. further and write more and listen to yourself. And, and, uh, it was, it was pretty impressive actually. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the, the young, the young audience these days. I mean, the young artists these days. 
Well, you have you have definitely got a gift here. I mean, you know, besides producing and then having your own studio and being your own musician and writer and an engineer. I mean, it's like you're very well rounded. You've got a lot of amazing things that you are working on that you've done. You've got a lot of stuff in your pocket here. I mean, that is amazing. Um, you know, going back to the Bob Dylan. Uh, bootleg that we did. What was yeah. what was that like working with Bob? No, well, first of all, we never see or hear from Bob. Okay. Okay, because these are these are tapes from the um, you know the Sony vaults. So I work closely with his manager, and he's the one who oversee who um, you know pr- approves what we do or makes suggestions. So, you know, mm-hmm. Bob's voice could be a little louder here or. Could you make them a little less, you know, whatever? You know, you know I hate that electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Down. So I'm sure Bob hears this stuff at some point. But other than that, you know, it's not like Bob is, you know, Bob doesn't care what he did 50 years ago. He really doesn't. Mm-hmm. He did it then. He, you know, even in then, you can hear it in the sessions. You know, he'll do a, a song a few times and then he moves on to something else. So, um um, so it's not like I get. I finally got to see Bob in uh, at the uh, Beacon Theater over the Thanksgiving week, uh, and I one of those things that I had somehow not never gone to a Bob Dylan show in my entire life. So I finally uh, got great seats and, and went with a dear friend of mine, and we had a great time. You know, seeing Bob for the first time was pretty uh, pretty amazing. You there? Uh oh. Hello? Hello, hello. Where'd you go? Hmm. I'm going to call back in. Can't hear you. That hello, was hello. very odd. I'm yeah, here. All of a sudden, I was just talking into nothing. So I don't know. No, I was hearing you, Steve. It was really strange. I don't know what oh, happened. Wow, I Everything I kind of went into a dead zone here. Yeah, I was. Well, <laughs> I was saying, I was saying, well, welcome back anyway. Um, welcome back to the show, and we have a little bit, a few more minutes here. Um, I was going to ask you, um, you also worked with Rosine Cash and, and Nona Hendricks, and I yeah. uh, wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Roseanne, that was a nice session because uh, Sony just released, um, what did they call the album? Johnny Cash. It's Johnny, what they did, I forget the name of the album, it's terrible, but um, what they did was after Johnny died, they found a bunch of his poetry that he'd never been put to music. So they invited. Oh, really? Of, yeah, a bunch of uh, singers, you know, ranging from. I gotta look up this record so we give the right information. Um, so they did um, a whole bunch of. Yeah, it's called Johnny Cash Forever Words, and um, 
it's really a fantastic record. Actually, I actually really enjoy listening to it. A lot of times when you work on a record, you don't wind up listening to it. But um, they did was invited many different artists to come in and, and put music to some of the words. So you have Elvis Costello doing one. You have Willie Nelson doing one. Let me see what else I can remember off the top of my head. Um, um, Oh, I don't know, but but of course Roseanne Cash did one, and uh, she did one called The Walking Wounded, and she's based in the city. She lives near near my studio, and uh, the people who are involved with it, John Carter Cash, who's Johnny's son, um, 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 June Carter, um, mm-hmm. he was producing it, and uh, my other buddy who also, I work with on the Dylan stuff was had also helped put the project together, and so they were co-producing it, and and so they they came to my studio, and I got to you know I've met Roseanne before, and so we recorded you know that track live that track in my studio, and uh, a song called The Walking Wounded. I don't we did, we don't have it with us, but um, but that's a beautiful record, Johnny Cash, uh, Forever Words, and um, it's quite. Um, Quite, I mean, it's a very enjoyable record to listen to, you know, because different various artists uh, on there. Let me see if I can figure out who else is on there. Chris Cornell, they did they they did it before oh, Chris really? passed away. Oh, Chris. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a I beautiful know. one. Casey Musgraves is on it. Uh, uh, who else? Actually, John Mellencamp did one. Oh wow. Um, so it, it's a it's a beautiful record. So that's just one of those nice sessions mm-hmm. you get to do every once in a while. They come along, and um, that's it. Nona Hendrix was for more of a jazz record. Uh, I've worked with Nona mm-hmm. a couple of times. Uh, boy, is she a great singer. It's fun to work with her. Yeah, I've had she'll Nona on a couple of times. Uh huh. Yeah, and she'll be yeah. on. She, but, I mean, she always brings great musicians to the band too. So I get to get to do stuff a little more R&B and funky, which is fun, you know, a little bit out of my wheelhouse, mm-hmm. but it's so, it's so fun, you know, that stuff just has oh, yeah. great energy to it, you know, it, it almost, it basically records itself, you know, and she's, she's really fun to work with, and, uh, you know, she likes what she knows what she wants to hear, and it's good, you know, she's very, she's a very, very uh, a good artist, I really respect her. Alison Krauss um, is also on that album, yeah, good, good. Oh really? I'm sorry. Oh, oh wow. On the Johnny Cash record. Yeah, that's a beautiful track uh-huh. too. Oh my God. Captain's daughter. Really? Yeah, yeah it's it's Ooh, a, I have it, to I listen to it. this one. Get get that record. Mm-hmm. It's it's really you can listen it's an album you can listen to completely, you know. It's not like there's only one good mm-hmm. song on it. There it's uh They're it all good. beautiful. There I I mm-hmm. think so, you know. Yeah, you know, you know who's um, th- that there. I'll have to find that one. You know, I wanted to ask you, you know, being that you're also a musician and you do your own writing, how do you find, where do you find time in between all this to do your own stuff? Like what you're doing yeah, yeah, with Richard? Yeah, you know, it's funny when you, I mean, I still, no matter what, you know, when you've grown up mm-hmm. being a freelancer like I have, you know, as soon as oh, like, yeah. you don't have a, as soon as you don't have a project, it's like that's it, I'm done, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll never have another mm-hmm. gig. So there's all, so you have to, you know, battle that for a while, and then once you get get over that again, and you pick up the guitar and the lick comes out, and you start to write, or, um, 
you know, the project with Richard, we, we, we recorded that over, a, you know, probably about a period of a year. It wasn't like we went into the studio for two weeks and did it. You know, we were working on it. We brought um, Dennis Dyken, the drummer of the Smithereens. So one day we did a basic tracking where we did a lot of the drums on it. And then as we could, like one day we'd go up to Woodstock and get John Sebastian to play harmonica on it. And then... You know, a month later, we were able to get Jenny Mulder to come to the studio. So it was kind of we piece piece it together as it goes along, and then finally it was done. So, you know, the time to do it all is um, it's a good question, but you somehow, you know, writing a song doesn't have to be a to- totally laborious process. You know, if you're open for it and you're ready, and sometimes it's just like taking the right ten minutes or so, and something can come out. Those are the best ones, and. Uh, it's sometimes easy to find the first line of a song, but then, of course, you have to finish it. So <laughs> that becomes mm-hmm. comes a little more uh, – that's where the real work comes in. But to me, it's the most you challenging know, part of the whole thing. You it know, is. I doubt. Writing right, – because there's a billion songs in the world, but, you know, how many really great ones are there? There's not as many, you know, and, and to try to write one that – is concise and says something and is emotional, which is where it's fun to go out and play, you know, to play my own material in front mm-hmm. of an audience because you, you get that immediate feedback. You can tell if a song is getting people or, or what. And, you know, I have no illusions of being this on-the-road artist doing my material for the rest of my life. But, you know, be able to play a bunch of gigs a year and go out, and I, I'd love to be able to put a band together and do it, you know, and, and really oh, do sure. a song. That'd be fun. But um, that... Would not, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you know. should. I I know, yeah. I think you should. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, with all the people that you've worked with, because you've worked with so many different people and iconic musicians to new musicians and all that, is there anyone you haven't worked with that you really want to work with? Oh, boy. That's a tough question. Um you know, so and why would you want to work with them? Yeah. Why? Well. Yeah. I'd love to. You know, honestly, the first name that comes to mind is Mark Knopfler. You know, because I'm such a, you know, a fan of his and have you know learned so much from his guitar playing, his records, his writing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm. You know, he, he towers above what I do, but um, you know, just to work with someone like that in the studio and, and just really, you know, feel a a back and forth with someone like that would be awesome, you know, because that, that, that to mm-hmm. me is really, um, you know, always working with someone who is, is, has been there, done it, been successful, and yet still maintains the humility about them. And, uh, you know, it would just be such a rich experience for me. You know, I'd, I'd probably be freaking shaking in my boots for the first hour or two. Oh. <laughs> and then you get into it, you know, but, yeah, you know, hey, it was very similar even in the early days when we were working, quick story, um, uh, mm-hmm. working on Sean Colvin's first record, Bruce Hornsby was coming uh-huh. into the studio, you know, somehow. And mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, my God, Bruce Hornsby, how did, how did he get his piano to sound <laughs> like that? You know, how am I going to mic it? You know, we're going through all this stuff and putting up mics. And he walks in, and he's very nice, and and he sits down at the piano, and it sounds like Bruce Hornsby because it's Bruce Hornsby, you know. It's like it, it's yeah. just put the mics anywhere. It didn't really matter, but you learn these things as you go. <laughs> but, you know, that was like, for you, 
it was like a moment where you were nervous, but you know, oh, you yeah. are so accomplished yourself. I mean, I know that there's probably never a moment like if you meet somebody that's, you know, a name that you just want to meet or you haven't met before. It's kind of like a little bit of a thing for you, Bruce Hornsby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can well, imagine I mean, that. I mean, I, I was still, you know, we had. You know, yeah, I'd had a success with Suzanne at that point, but still, you know, Bruce Hornsby, mm-hmm. Bruce Hornsby. You know, so, because um, you know, from my vantage point, I was working with Suzanne, who was this girl, you know, woman I met, and we 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 kind of went up together. But you know, Bruce Hornsby was like, well, real artist, you know. So, so anyway, that that was yeah. That. No, I bet. Now, um, <laughs> what's Suzanne doing now? She's because I know that we were just, supposed to have her on. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Yeah, she's. Uh, I know she just finished up a run in Texas where she was um, starring in her own one-woman play about Carson McCullers, mm-hmm. which is a project she'd had on the back burner for like 25 years. And uh, mm-hmm. so that was that was wrapped up a couple of months ago. Um, she's very active playing. She goes to Europe. She does tours here. Um, I'm not so exactly sure where she is this week, but you know the. Uh, she always seems to have, um, you know, good gigs lined up. And, and usually in the summer, I know she does a lot of work in Europe, so I'm imagining she's going mm-hmm. back there again. So um, she's Do been you very two stay in, in touch career. with each other? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Yeah, see, yeah. that's the thing that's really important is that you're still in touch with a lot of the people that you really started their career and worked worked with them in the beginning. Yeah, no, she, like um, I said, she's always been great about that. Oh, yeah. What about Jeff Buckley? Wow. Well, that was, um, you know, that's one of those sessions. I mean, the one we did was, what, 93, I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. He had just been signed to Sony, Columbia Records. Um, mm-hmm. And they just they wanted to put him in the studio, not necessarily to start a record, but just to document what he had. And because he really wasn't much mm-hmm. of a writer at that point, you know, when they signed him, he was mm-hmm. this incredible performer and his voice. And so, um, Steve Berkowitz, my buddy, who I'm still working with, with the Dylan stuff. He, he, he was, he had signed Jeff to Sony and he called me up and goes, uh, we just want to put him in the studio for three days. We're not going to produce some let's, let's just want to see what he has, you know. So that's what we did. Mm-hmm. We basically let the tapes roll for three days. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the first day he was a little uptight, and then he relaxed and started doing all these great covers, and he did a couple of, oh, couple wow. of originals. But, you know, there were, mm-hmm. really weren't a lot of originals there, and he, he was sort of just a very natural talent, but he was really all over the place. He went from singing like an Edith Piaf song to a Led Zeppelin song. Oh, you you're know, and everything in, And everything in between. So it's like, how do you make a record of it, this guy? So they they had Columbia and Sony had a lot of work to do in terms of getting with writers and getting more material and uh, forming that you know what the album that eventually became Grace. So in a way, I feel like I did the first record now because this one coming out, and even though it came out 20 years after he after he died and after we did it, um, was still his really first recordings you know, for Sony in, in the studio. And it was just very innocent and very, just very simple. And, 
we didn't do any post-production on it. You know, what, what came out was what we heard in 1993, the same mm-hmm. mix that was in his headphones and what I heard in the studio. So there was no making it better. We didn't have to make it better. It was pretty freaking great. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's probably like for you to look back on people that you've worked with that are not here anymore with mm. us. Um, it's just so different, you know. Um, yeah. Because I know yeah, that it's... listening to a lot of music from people that, like, you know, when I hear, um, let's see, like I just hear a lot of different people, especially Chris Cornell. I mean, you know, Chris's mm-hmm. music, just like really mm-hmm. – you know, that was yeah. just so tragic, you know, yeah. but, uh, Tom Pet- losing what a Tom beautiful voice. Yeah. Losing Tom oh, Petty was a killer. Oh, you know, it's just like, yeah. it just seems so unreal. I still listen to him on mm-hmm. two years XM, you know, it's like, oh, cause I really just, you know, oh, that you know? kind of music just, that, that hits me, you know, simple. And no, great. that's funny. You said serious, um, next, uh, Friday, um, I'm going to have Keith Roth on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Keith? No, I don't. He keeps keeps going to be on. He does a radio show, and he's got a new movie that he did called Let Me Down Hard, which is about um, the music industry. Oh, yeah. So it's going to uh, be pretty interesting. Yeah, it's pretty. It's going to be pretty interesting. So that will be next Friday. But, um, you know, I really was looking forward to, you know, talking with you and uh, really – talking about all the different people that you've worked with and seeing how music has changed over the years. I know you as a, as a producer and engineer and, and record, you know, writer, you can understand about how you even mentioned it, how things are produced so differently now digitally, but vinyl is coming back, which is really cool. Even, you know, the remastered stuff, it's uh, it's okay. I just really like the original stuff. There's nothing like hearing the original vinyl. The original old um, vinyl, I know. Gratchy. Well, it's, it's, it's just there's so much connected to it. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just it's the whole experience back then. And and what I think a lot of kids are missing, and why you know some kids are gravitating towards the vinyl, is that there's nothing to hold on to. You know, I mean, we used to just sit back and open the album jacket and read the lyrics read the credits yep. I mean to me that was all so interesting and fascinating and magical and like wow wow oh, look who played on it all he the liners that, you know yeah yeah and now it's mm-hmm. like you can't even tell who produced anything you know you got to dig for it online I know I they're, get, they're getting a little better at it now but it's still they're so far behind it's like and it, it, that really impacts you know us as producers also you know getting work I mean that mm-hmm. word of mouth is how we get work you know someone sees our name on an album go oh yeah I love what you did on that you know could you produce mine or that or a record company sees it now it's like oh, you yeah. gotta be free, you gotta be uh, you know Sherlock Holmes to find it well you know like I said Steve vinyl as you can see I mean is it your consensus and in, in what you've seen is vinyl coming back as from it's, what I see, you know, I'm amazed it's still it around. Is. Yeah, I mean, it, the fact that CDs are mm-hmm. basically gone and vinyl is still, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it takes you three months to get a vinyl record pressed now because the, the factories are so backed up. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Well, you know what's so funny is I heard that they are opening. Um, Sub Pop is uh, opening up quite a few of their. Um, there are a lot of new vinyl. Uh, pressing plants that are going to be opening up and I know a lot of people when they come out 
Have you have you ran into it where you've gone and you've produced someone? They do a vinyl edition besides just the digital yeah. Actually, or the, whatever. This last record, this, this last record I just did with Anna Eggy called White Tiger, is on vinyl. Also, uh-huh. she just had her album release party. It was the same night I was playing with Richard, so I couldn't go. But um, okay, she's doing a, she's doing another gig coming up at the Rockwood Music Hall, so I'll, I'll go check that one out and get my copy. But yeah, she they 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 did it to vinyl. And uh, I mean, she still makes yeah. CD, but um, yeah, I even find it shows people are buying less and less CDs. You know, it used to be okay, mm-hmm. we'll make CDs and we'll sell them at the show, but even now they don't seem to be. They're not going like they used to, even like from a year ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I have noticed a lot of people really want the vinyl because they are collecting it. Um, I think Spencer's working on a vinyl show, actually. He's coming. He's going to be doing one, I think. Yeah, no, he's going to be doing um, – it's really cool. It's uh, going to be vinyl, um, some of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, vinyl covers will be shown, and it's going to be pretty interesting. I know that he's been busy working on that. But, you know, me out here on the West Coast, I've noticed a lot of people are really going towards vinyl now more. Um <laughs> You know, and and the colored vinyl is a big thing right now. People like the colors that you can do <laughs> with the vinyl. Yeah, but um, well, it's it's good that I did people whole... are having fun fun with music. You know, fun with records. No, they are. You know, that it's actually that's that's the thing. And you know, record store day. Um, I did a show mm-hmm. on record store day, and that's all about vinyl and records. You know, record stores and vinyl and all that. And it was very interesting, you know, to hear the people, how many people are really out there starting to collect vinyl now and uh, picking up a lot of the old stuff. So it's really, you know, and they, and they a lot of them are finding it on eBay or they're going to, you know, different events and trading and whatever. But, uh, no, we'll see how, what the future, what the future holds, you know. It's a very different. It's a very different experience putting a record on, because it, it mm-hmm. the physical act of putting a record on and putting the needle on the thing. It it makes you pay mm-hmm. attention. It's not like you're just whizzing by on YouTube or you know iTunes and just seeing something on a screen and you're in headphones and you know it. it the whole physicality of it, I think, is is why people are gravitating towards it and. Um, you know, it's, it just brings me back to when I first was, you know, watching my 45 spin around because it's, oh, sure. nothing, has, nothing has changed. You know, I mean, like it, you know, it's, it's still, you know, bewildering how you put a needle on a record and music comes out. You know, it's still, I mean, mm-hmm. I, even though I understand the entire process because I've worked at a mastering studio and cut records and know how a lathe works, but still, you know, that that that, that a whole industry is built on this one very simple principle of a needle wiggling in a groove is. <laughs> no, I get and it's that. Still here. Yeah, it's still I, here. You know, simplicity. I know. You think all this digital shit's going to be here in 40 years? It's going to be, gonna be like MP3s. We can't play an MP3. We don't know. That's obsolete. You know. I know. And they're gone. They'll be gone. I know. Anywhere. They're just. They're just on you. They don't exist anywhere. They're just out there, right? They're files. They're a bunch mm-hmm. of numbers on a drive. You know, there's nothing physical about it. The record. Oh, look, my old you know, 
my old Bee Gees record is still on my shelf from 1972. You know, it's 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 like it's like a digital book. It's like the digital yeah. books. It's like not. It's like holding a real book in your hand is so much different than right. You know, sure. listening or reading something on a iPad or a Nook or whatever. Right. Um. I enjoy. I enjoy holding a book and smelling it and being able to press the pages and make liner notes and just mm-hmm. the same thing like with with you know vinyl and stuff. So I wondered your opinion on that. So I'm glad you. <laughs> Uh, you well, know, spoke up about that. A, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm listen, I'm, it's surprising. You know, I never would have guessed, you know, I mean, I, I probably never would have guessed a CD would be disappearing so quickly, but in a way it is an older digital technology and sonically our streams now can sound better than a CD, you know, with a high resolution as everything gets faster mm-hmm. and faster and more capacity. I mean, we, we really can have the ability to have very high quality audio streaming at us. You know, it's just the, it's still the experience of how to make it special. Like the, you know, just as, as it's exciting or uh, a moment to put on a a record on a turntable and put the arm on it, you know, hitting a button and hearing great audio. There's something missing. I'm not sure. And I don't think video Hell is the answer, you know, YouTube and all that. Because like, well, can a song exist without a video anymore? Uh, it it always used to, but now it's like, well, you know, the video drives the music. And it's kind of not not where I come from. I think know. it was more like a visual thing for people. You know, they were like, they felt like, okay, if I can't see this person in concert, I can see them in concert on a video, but. Still, it's like for me, it's like there's nothing like being able to just like get the, uh, you know, the vinyl out, put the arm down, like you said, sit back, read the liner notes. You know, there's nothing like it. There really is. It just commands so. your attention. It commands your attention a bit more. Mhm. Mhm. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I wanted to tell you today that I I wanted to thank you so much for being here and sharing so much of, you know, what you've done. And then um, we want to, again, mention the thing that's happened. It's it's in August, correct? August? Right, August 12th. uh, Yeah, Richard Barone. Uh, it's uh, you know we're going to revisit the 60s with all those great artists like John Sebastian, Jesse Collin Young, mm-hmm. Jose Feliciano, uh, and Summer Stage in uh, New York City, Central Park. Okay. And uh, the other plug is uh, that that song Get Up that we played. The name of the movie I looked it up is, is called Little Woods, and it's coming out I think, oh, nice. by the end of, by the end of the year. So look for that song in oh, Little cool. Woods. I'll be looking for that movie. Yeah, um, that words, sounds yeah. kind of cool. I really love. I love her voice. Her voice is just yeah, very, yeah. Uh, very haunting in a way. It's got a really cool yeah. sound to it. Yeah, um, we got, and we got, you know, we got the end credit. We got the end credit spot, which is great. So that's did that's, you? That's very, oh, how very cool feature. is that? Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Can't wait. That's gonna be great. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, I've got some other songs in the queue here. Um, what song did you want to end with? Well, um, I think I've got Rivertown. Um, yeah, let's let's do Rivertown. So Rivertown, I wrote. Um, I'd come back from a 
a show and uh, seeing Jimmy Webb play. And it was just mm-hmm. fantastic to hear all these great songs about Galveston by the time I get to Phoenix and, and oh, MacArthur's Park, all these songs about places and, you know, how romantic it seemed and just the visual of it, you know. And then I come home to my little town in, in Westchester, Hastings-on-Hudson. It's like, that has, you know, it, it, there's no romance to it. So I was like, how do you write a song about a place? I was really determined and then I started to hear the freight train go by and the, the wind and the, we have the river here. And so I had the first line of the song and I wrote the rest of it. And this one is always a real popular one at my shows. And actually my next door neighbor, Bill, who lived here, he heard the song and there's a line in it later about the changing of the guard and, you know, younger people taking over. And he says, you know what? It was time for me to go. My kids were gone. I, and he, he sold his house. I mean, he literally put, the, put it on the market soon after he heard that song. <laughs> Oh wow! So, uh, so this crazy. one, yeah, people, I get a good response to this one. So, yeah, it's called River Towns, and thank you so much for having me on. It was really fun. Oh and, no, I I loved it. And again, if you missed the beginning of the show, it'll be available as a podcast <laughs> on iTunes and on Red Velvet Media afterwards. And um, I wanted to let everyone know it's Friday. Please don't drink and drive. And right, uh, also, yeah, and uh, also I wanted to let everyone know again, um, when you hear the show, it'll be right before Father's Day weekend, and uh, we want to wish everyone out there celebrating Father's Day um, to all those that are taking the position of a father, just like uh, for Mother's Day, there are a lot of men that take the position of a mom, so we want to say happy Father's Day to everyone. And honor everyone. So uh, there you go. And we're going to end with Rivertown. And thank you so much, Steve, for being here today. I really appreciate it. And we'll My see everyone pleasure, next Holly. Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Have and a I great will, weekend. Will, and I'll uh, post the blog on my so my uh, Facebook page. And if anyone wants to listen to yeah. it. Yeah. It's all good. Will and uh, Red Velvet Media is on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we are the original Red Velvet Media. There are some companies out there that are using my name, which we are in Ooh. the process of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People love that. I mean, you know, it's funny, Steve. When I first started my company years ago, there was nothing Red Velvet. It was like <laughs> I named it after my favorite cupcake. Now I think there's <laughs> even Red Velvet toothpaste. So. Uh, yeah, so we wanted to let everyone know we are the original Red Velvet Media, and, uh, you know, we, we we really love our fans and also our clients. So thank you so much for being here, Steve, and you have a wonderful Father's Day coming up. Thank you very much, okay? Keep up the good You're work. You're so welcome. Have a great Bye-bye. weekend. Here you guys go. Hudson tonight A freight train is heading due north The stars lay a blanket of light on this town Life it goes on and goes on The lights in the windows burn holes in the night And each with a story to tell 
behind these locked doors The world spins around Life, it goes on and goes on I walk up the steps from the station tonight The concrete worn down by the years Of toil, heartache, hopes and dreams Travel up and down through here It's the echo of those footsteps I hear On Main Street, the sidewalks are quiet by ten A few drinks and small talk at the bar I go home alone, I check the news in Life, it goes on and goes on The bridges string diamonds through space The houses look out and beyond On our bedroom pillows Sweet dreams float in It reminds me how lucky we are The life, it goes on and goes on Can be so complex But I guess it don't matter If I figure it out Life never lets on what's next There's a kid from the high school He's now walking the beat And it feels like a change of the guard The highway winds down to this quiet 